A recent editorial on the Chungang Ilbo described a milestone age of turning 30 as a turning point in adulthood with still remaining a sense of uncertainty, anxiety. In fact, turning 30 is seen as a significant milestone for young adults, maybe a turning point still ridden with some of those uncertainties. But what do you suppose it implies in a diplomatic relationship? Seoul and Beijing marks three decades in diplomatic relations this year, and China remains South Korea. Korea's largest trading partner. But anti-Chinese sentiment is especially high in the peninsula, and the two countries clearly cannot find a middle ground on security issues. What do we make of it? Professor Kim Byung-ju of the Hanguk University of Foreign Studies joins us on the line. Good morning, Professor Kim. Good morning. Uh, it's a lot to cover, but if not you, I'm not quite sure who can explain it best for our listeners. Uh, let us look back at the past 30 years. A strategic economic partner with large fundamental differences. How do we put all of this into perspective? Uh, more than anything, I think the numbers that uh, indicate the economic exchange between the two countries uh, need to be considered as we look back and talk about the three decades of the bilateral relationship between Korea and China for sure. So first of all, of course, as we are all aware, the trade between the two countries uh, have increased so dramatically. It's, it's uh, beyond anyone's imagination, basically. Uh, what happened was, uh, I guess, you know, the, during the past two decades, not necessarily entirely three decades, but past two decades has been really showing a big jump. And what we saw was 10 times increase of the the trade. Uh, as a whole, uh, as we say, the 10 times increase of the past two decades, hmm. we are talking about Korea's export to China growing from about $18 billion dollars to $160 billion. That's an incredible amount of money. Uh, In Korean won, that's a jump from 24 trillion won to 209 trillion won Korea's exports to China. And uh, the imports from China uh, showed similar kind of, uh, you know, increase altogether. And what we know is, though, however, uh, throughout the whole time for three decades and until let's say about four months or less uh, for, for the past three or uh, four months mm. you know as we speak right now mm. it's showing something different but until up to four months ago Korea has continuously uh, recording trade surplus so we were selling more to China than what we've been buying from China mm. uh, what some people are alarmed about is that uh, trend has been reversed for the last four months. Mm. And there's a much debate whether this trend of marking trade deficit with China will continue in the long run or not. That's a that's a big uh, topic for debate. But uh, the, the big picture is, of course, Korea has been consistently recording trade surplus. Mm. And what's even more important than the fact that we've been consistently uh, you know, recording trade uh, surplus is that that overall trend has picked quite a while ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was about uh, 10 years ago, if you will. Uh, 2013, mm-hmm. Korea recorded uh, 63, close to 63 billion US dollar trade uh, surplus with China. Mm-hmm. And since then, it has been uh, declining gradually. So 
I guess what we can say is about 10 years ago, uh, 2010, 2012, 13, that was the, the big, big time for Korea's, uh, what do you call it, maximizing Korea's uh, gains and so on mm-hmm. through the, the bilateral trade. I'm not saying, I'm not, uh, the, you know, uh, making economists angry by saying trade def- uh, the surplus is the best thing, but <laughs> overall I'm saying, you know, economists usually uh, emphasize the balanced trade is the best thing, but, uh, uh, you know, in terms of general understanding, Korea was making really big money uh, out of uh, trade with China about 10 years ago. Since then, things have been uh, changing. Last number indicator uh, that we have to main, um, mindful of is the the, the exchange of people, uh, you know, the, mm. the flow of uh, visitors between the two countries. Mm. And what we know is uh, uh, that the peak of, uh, was about the peak of in terms of Chinese people coming to Korea was 2016. Mm. So uh, 2016, what we had was as many as 8.3 million Chinese people coming to Korea. That's an unbelievable (laughs) size of visitors coming from one country. Mm. And the thing is, for the last about six years and so on, of course, because of uh, coronavirus, for Mm. sure, uh, but uh, a lot of people see the thought aftermath and Chinese government's action to limit uh, K-wave, Korea wave, and mm-hmm. so on, played a big role in cutting down the number from uh, 8.3 million to down to, last year was 187,000. So that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's a beyond drop, yeah. right? <laughs> so... Uh, so that kind of dramatic drop in terms of exchange of people is a cause of concern for those people who are looking at the long-term trend altogether. Of course, we can't ignore the fact that China does remain South Korea's top trading partner since 2003, as you mentioned, Professor Kim. It largely mm-hmm. maintained that position the last two decades, but things are changing. Um, one aspect attributable, I think, to this discussion is a slowing Chinese economy as well. Um, mm-hmm. But overall, there has been much change in the landscape is, itself beyond these numbers, right? Right, exactly. Uh, what really matters is beyond these numbers is the uh, substantive issue of China catching up with Korea. As we mentioned, uh, 2016 or so during that time, Korea recorded the largest uh, trade surplus, and since then it has been decreasing. And behind that is China's very strong drive to catch up with Korea and the rest of the, the world. And when we talk about, uh, and, you know, these days, when we talk about the reshuffling of uh, global supply chain and so on, we often forget which party actually initiated this whole change. Mm. And the thing that probably often forget is actually it was China, Xi Jinping's China, uh, for the last five, six years, uh, that has been actually initiated this whole uh, turbulence, if you will. What I mean particularly by that is the report that China issued, Made in China 2025 report. Mm. That report was issued back in 2015, uh, shortly after Xi Jinping came into power. Mm. And that report was a declaration on the the side of China that uh, in the future, going forward from 2015, for the next following 10 years, China was declaring that China refuses to to be part of international division of labor, Mm. and they want to cease to become, to cease to be world market, Mm. and cease to be world's factory. 
and whether what China declared in the Made in China 2025 report they issued in 2015 was that China wants to lead, lead everything mm. that's important in the future. And so all these future-oriented technologies, uh, you name it, semiconductor, AI, uh, you know, electric vehicles, mm. uh, the telecommunication, internet, mobile communication, everything, 5G, 6G, they want to lead the world. Mm. And they refuse to remain as a world factory. They refuse to remain as a world market. They want to be world leader. And since then, this very strong catch-up game with the world's leaders in these industries actually started the turmoil of what we call uh, supply chain uh, disruption. And that's what we're experiencing. Uh, mm -hmm. Behind all these numbers, mm -hmm. uh, what we see here in Korea is that you know, uh, the China is catching up fast and then it's introducing all these changes that we experience uh, as we stand right now. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of accounts to take into consideration. But Professor Kim, can we look into some of the key political as well as economic turning points in the past three decades between Beijing-Seoul relations? Right. Uh, I guess when we say uh, three decades, uh, 30 years anniversary of uh, diplomatic ties being normalized means back in 1992, August 24th, uh, you know, the, the, the two countries agreed to normalize the, the relationship in 1992. And since then, for example, 1998, Kim Dae-jung and Jang Zemin met together and they declared they want to open a kind of cooperative partnership uh, relationship between the two countries for the new uh, new 20th, 21st century. And there was a big mm. declaration, foundational declaration, uh, six years after the normalization of 1998. Mm. And uh, the thing is, occasionally, I mean, what I want to say is that there are these political declarations, ambitious declarations of improving the ties, but in between, uh, that trend was punctuated by certain actions. For instance, uh, 2000, the famous, infamous, the garlic case. Wow. <laughs> Kim Jae-jung administration faced a very strong demand mm -hmm. from Korean farmers, and, and we imposed a tariff on uh, Chinese garlic. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was Korea was hit hard by Chinese retaliation on our, uh, our at that time, it was uh, the, the, the handphones. It was not exactly smartphones, mobile phones, okay. Mm -hmm. Earlier version of mobile phones and different kinds of uh, petrochemical uh, export was hit hard. And that's, that's the first time we learned how hard it is to deal with China mm -hmm. as a big country. Mm -hmm. And since then, you know, we had this history disputes, and uh, different things. But in between, of course, uh, you know, uh, Kim Dae-jung, Jang Zemin declaration, and then No Mu-yeon, Hu Jintao declaration, and then Lee Myung-bak and Hu Jintao declaration. I guess the big, the peak time in terms of political ties was 2014-15, uh, when uh, Xi Jinping, when he became the head of states in China, he visited actually South Korea first before he mm -hmm. visited North Korea. So mm -hmm. that was a big deal. And President Park Geun-hye stood on the top of this, this gate in uh, Tiananmen Square when China celebrated their Victory Day 2015 along with Putin and so on. So that 2015 was the peak point in terms of uh, two countries having good relationship. But since then... Uh, well, that, that, that year we had uh, FTA set up and everything. But since then, we remember 2016, the THAAD. Mm -hmm. The THAAD was the turning point. And since then, for the last, last five, six years, the, the relationship has been declining. But of course, it has a lot to do with all, overall Xi Jinping's 
uh, direction in managing foreign relations altogether outside the world, becoming tough and strong to everyone. So for the last five, six years, we've been seeing declining in the relationship between the two countries. Professor Kim, what I can infer from what you've all said so far is that uh, the next 30 years between Beijing and Seoul will be unlike the last 30. Tough road clearly lies ahead. How do we view the political aspect of the bilateral ties as it stands now? As it stands now, we are mindful of like three key words. Number one is Saad. Saad indicates, uh, symbolizes Chinese stance towards South Korea. You know, big country, we need something from you. You act according to our will. That kind of uh, pressure, one-sided pressure, Saad. And then uh, global supply chain issue, where Korea is has to stand in the, this tough currents of uh, willing, kind of like confusing changes of the global situation, overall global supply chain. We're not initiating, but uh, it is happening outside the world, and we have to uh, uh, deal with it. So it's an external situation. Uh, it kind of symbolizes that kind of situation. And then third one is the the, the three-decade-old Korea's expectation about China, what it can do to help North Korea situation altogether. Mm. So Saad, global supply chain, mm. and North Korea situation, these all together uh, remain as key issues. And, uh, of course, well, you know, in, even inside Korea, we don't have firm agreement or mm. consensus about how we, South Korea, should deal with China regarding these, uh, you know, aspects of the relationship that Saad signifies and then global supply chain turmoil signifies and our expectation of Beijing regarding its handling with uh, Pyongyang signifies altogether. So those are three important aspects of the relationship. Mm. I think another key issue is a public sentiment towards e- each other. Several local polls indicate the majority of South Korean public holds an unfavorable view of China. I, I gather that it puts the UN administration in a tough position to adopt Beijing-friendly policies. Uh, what can we say about this sort of divide between maybe the Chinese public and the Korean public sentiments towards each other? Yeah, uh, clearly China seems to, uh, China's public and experts on the the foreign relations seem to believe that South Korea tend to overreact Mm. to the issues. Uh, South Korean public tend to overreact. They they tend to argue and so on. And I do frankly believe there is certain truth to that observation. Uh, Why do we overreact? That's because, I guess, uh, by accepting the reality, I could uh, defend What's happening here? Why do we overreact? That's because China, for the last five, six years, has been acting like an uh, imperialist power in the eyes of Korean uh, critics. Mm-hmm. When Trump came into office, first thing that uh, Xi Jinping said when he met uh, Trump was that Korea has been part of China for, for a long period of time in the history. And Trump was walking out of his, his meeting with Xi Jinping for the first time and saying, oh, I didn't know that Korea was part of China, and I learned something new today. Mm. <laughs> that kind of things doesn't yeah. help. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that kind of Chinese new different kinds of attitude as the country rises up as a, as a global power, its arrogance, its attitude, its insensitivity plays a big part here. And so it's it's a big issue that we need to uh, work out together. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with South Korea's reactionary 
tendencies, mm. over-reactionary tendencies, if you will. <laughs> and uh, how do we find solutions in terms of what China does to Korea and so on. So it's, it's a tough issue going forward. But as you pointed out, it's one of the key issues for the remaining uh, for the for our future of the bilateral relationship. I mean, if there is a trigger amongst the South Korean public, I mean, there must be a full explanation, as you've aptly pointed <laughs> out. Um, I, I do think because I work in media, a part of me feels responsible for the divisive <laughs> nature of the topics, too. Sometimes, without right. in, intending to do so, I think it exacerbates a situation with headlines yep. that are divisive in the way it's designed. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, both South Korea and China are not the same countries they were 30 years ago. It means perhaps we need a different roadmap going up ahead. Uh, To wrap up today's discussion, Professor Kim, how should we look Mm -hmm. to the future as we seek ways to make Korea-China ties healthier? Uh, In terms of what China has to do from South Korean perspective, I think uh, many South Koreans feel that last three decades it has been one-sided love, if you will, kind of like South Korea expecting China to do things for us. And China will probably say, well, we offered you a big market for you and you made lots of money. Well, of course, <laughs> that's what what we do when you have a great market and so on. But I think we were expecting more on the political side, for example, like doing something, helping us further on North Korean nuclear issues and so on. And so uh, going forward, China needs to think about uh, rather than sticks, you know, what kind of carrots they can offer to South Korea, they will actually make a relationship easier by making, for example, I mean, this country is run by public opinion. This is a liberal, liberal democracy here where we got, and people's opinion matters in terms of it binds what governments can do and so on. So China really has to work on improving Korean public sentiment. In doing so, they should think about more of the carrots to offer rather than the sticks. Sticks will make the overall situation really, really bad continuously though so they should keep in mind Mm -hmm. south korean side we should think about different uh, scenarios Uh, we have scenarios uh, we got to think about scenarios about what's going to happen to taiwan or what Mm -hmm. beijing will do or will not do regarding taipei going forward for the next several years and then our relationship with uh, united states too uh, whether or not trump will come back or not and what that means in terms of korea's balance act between Beijing and Washington and so on. So South Korea, on our part, has a lot of thinking to do as well. Mm. Thank you very much, Professor Kim, for the discussion. Insightful as always. Have a safe week and we'll speak to you again next week. Thank you very much. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.